We're finishing our series called Overcomer, and so I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapters 2 and 3. A couple of chapters that we're going to talk about this week, and uh, I want us to uh, think about what it is to overcome. And here's why I've done this series. I've done this series because it's real easy to look at our world and think we're not overcoming or to struggle or to feel like that, that you're uh, feeling uh, some mental things going on, some emotional things going on, depression, discouragement, uh, ready to be around people again. I mean, ready for normal to occur, whatever that looks like in the future. Who knows what normal is going to look like going forward? And so there's that feeling inside of every one of us as we struggle through that. And it's real easy to get negative on all of this and say, man, this is not the, you know, what, what I signed on for. This is not what our world is supposed to be. This is not what our church is supposed to be or whatever. And yet there's some real blessings that have occurred through this COVID time that we could not ever, ever imagine. And I think about the fact I've talked to somebody today and they said they were praying that God would do whatever it takes to bring about revival. And so I said, well, it's your fault then. All this has happened. You said whatever it takes, right? And, and yet that's the prayer we need to be praying. We don't need to be afraid of that. And I still think about some of our brothers and sisters in Christ that live in China today and there is revival happening. You see, in China today, their premier has, has made it where uh, they're tearing down churches and they're silencing those who are not speaking the party line. And he made the comment that one more Christian is one less Chinese. Because if you become Christian, then you are not supporting the party line. You're not supporting China first. You're saying, Lord Jesus first, China second. And I think, wow, how dangerous is that? Well, you know what believers have found out? They found out that facial recognition software doesn't work as well with a mask on. And they're becoming more bold to share the gospel openly with other people. Wow, praise God for that. Revival is happening. What I mean, you look at that and think, that's what we pray for. If it means that we don't get what we want, first world problems, right? Where we get to all meet together and hug on each other. If we don't get what we want, but God is bringing about revival in another part of the world because of this pandemic, praise God. And we need to be overcomers. We don't need to be those who are got our hands in our pockets and are looking down and says, woe is me and this is all terrible. And we need to be rejoicing in the Lord. And that's the reason that I began to talk about this series of overcoming. Overcoming means there's a problem to overcome. It doesn't mean everything's nice and rosy like you would always like it for it to be. And so we need to be those overcomers. And in fact, we are called overcomers. We are overcomers. And I talked about that in the very first message in this series in, in 1 John chapter 5, where it says, for everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. Everyone born of God. By, simply by the fact that you've overcome, that you've believed on Jesus, you are an overcomer. That's who you are. So we need to live who we are. And if we're living discouraged, if we're living down, then we're not living who we are designed to be. 
And we need to pray, God, help my life to line up with who you've called me to be. Who you've, what you call me, how you see me as an overcomer simply because born of God. Everyone who has been born of God, when a person believes on Jesus, you are an overcomer. Why? Because in the second message we talked in uh, John 16, 33, Jesus said, these things I have said to you, uh, these things I have said to you, uh, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. And at first, when I looked at that, I thought, well, that's fine for you having overcome the world, but what about us? In me you will have peace. If he's overcome, then when I'm in him, I am an overcomer in him. And that's the, these things he talked about were John 15, abide in me. And so when we abide in him, and then he gives us the spirit of God, which he goes on to talk about in chapter 16. Then in 1633, we overcome by being in him, by living in him. When we go back to that passage in 1 John, we see the second thing he said, because overcoming is a process. There's the salvation part of it. Then there's the sanctification part of it where we begin to live out our faith. He talks about that next. He says, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. So we believe God. And we believe when we are struggling in our hearts, when we're struggling with what's going on inside of us, we're saying, God, everything doesn't look great to me. It looks like it's going to heck in a handbasket, right? But I believe that you are good. I believe that your nearness is my good. Just like we sang about, do we really believe those words? We just sang them. Do we really believe his nearness is our good? Then that means now, not just when everything goes back to normal. It means right now, his nearness is our good. Right now, his nearness is our joy and our rejoicing. And so we... As we become what we were called to be, overcomers, we begin to live in the way that he designed us. We do it together. And you think, well, how can we do it together when we're all spread apart, when so many are at home? And, and, and I think the rest of the world has gone through that. We talked about that last week where the, the whole world has known being in dispersion. The apostle James talks about to the church in dispersion. When the, the Roman church was, was worshiping in catacombs, the Chinese churches had churches mowed down, I mean, and, and, and had their services on, online cut off after about 10 or 15, 20 minutes, and it just cut off. How are they going to do it? Same way we're going to do it. We're going to figure it out. And we're going to fight for it because we're overcomers. That's who we are. And we're going to live by faith. And we're going to trust that God's doing something special right now, even though we may not be able to see exactly what that is. We can see a few of those things, Chinese wearing masks and being able to share their faith. What is it here? I don't know. But we need to remember that part of what we do as believers is we overcome. And God has called us to that. And there's, there are rewards for doing that. And that's the thing that I, that I think we need to think about. And that's what today's message is about. We're going to look at the seven churches. And we're not going to look at all of everything that talks about the seven churches. We're going to jump right to the end of every one. And at the end of every one, we see that uh, there's blessing that comes to those who overcome. To every single church, he says, this is what you get when you overcome. 
Now, you need to understand the book of Revelation to understand where we're talking about. And so if you look at a chart of the uh, Revelation, you have the church age, which is Revelations chapters 1 through 3. That's the chapters we're in. So this is talking about seven churches in the church age. And then the bulk of the book of Revelation is chapters 4 to 19. So almost all of the book deals with the great tribulation. Now, there's some people that today will say, hey, we're in the middle of, you know, the seventh trumpet or we're, no, uh, we're going to be raptured before then. We're going to be taken up before then. Even, uh, uh, we see the rapture occurring and it occurs and then the tribulation for seven years and then the second coming. And then according to Daniel, there's about 75 days where there's going to be some judgments, sheep and goat judgments that happens. And then the thousand year kingdom where Christ rules upon this earth. We see that in Revelation chapter 20. And then Revelation 21 and 22, new heavens and new earth. I mean, that's how the book is laid out. And so that's why I have the chapters laid out here. If you want to take a quick uh, snapshot of that, you're welcome to do that. We're looking at the church age right now, the 2,000 years of the church, and that's what the first part of the book deals with. It deals with now. Now, one of the things that uh, some people have looked at these seven churches, and I'll give you just a second if you, want, if you haven't taken your picture yet, the seven churches, and they say, well, those are periods of history, and, that, and these were prophetic looking forward to the church of the 2,000 years of the church. And they'd say the church at Ephesus represents the apostolic era, era which goes to 64 AD. And Smyrna represents the time of persecution, which goes to 313, right before uh, uh, the, uh, I just went blank on the, on the name, but I'll think of it, the Greek uh, leader there. Um, you have Pergamum, who uh, goes all the way to 606. Thyatira, the Middle Ages, Sardis, the Protestant Reformation, Philadelphia, the missionary era, and then they'd say we're living in the time of Laodicea. I struggle with that simply because I hold to a plain normal understanding of Scripture, all of Scripture, including prophecy, that if the plain sense makes good sense, you don't seek another sense, you don't look for some sort of uh, ethereal thing. You don't look for something that's, that's, that's different, that's, that's a figure of speech, unless it's clearly a figure of speech. And so then the question is, so what, what do we have here? We have seven actual churches. Uh, John tells us at the beginning of Revelation that he's in Patmos. And then you see these churches and he lists them in order. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. It's like he goes in a, in a semicircle there and he, and he deals with each one. And so I think that these are literal churches. And he didn't pick, pick ones. Colossae could have been there. there. It was also in Asia Minor. He didn't pick that one for some reason. That We have the book of Colossians that dealt with that. And so why did John pick these? Because Jesus told him, these are the ones I want you to, to look at. They had particular issues that were going on. And, and when you look at each of, the, each of these, you see a pattern develop. And the pattern fluctuates a little bit among the seven churches, but they're basically this. It starts out and it says, to the angel of the church at, and then it tells the name of the church, the words of him who, and then it talks about Jesus. It's Jesus every time. 
a neat study to do or a neat thing to do would just be go through and just look at all the names that it calls Jesus at the beginning of each of these seven churches. Pretty, pretty neat study. You think the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the seven golden lampstands. Then you see in the church of Smyrna, uh, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. It's clearly Jesus as you begin to read through these. And then not only do you have who it is that's speaking, Jesus, he says, I know your works. And so then he talks about that. And then he says, I have this against you. And he talks about that. He says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. And then he talks about to the one who conquers, to the one who is victorious, to the one who overcomes. It's that same word that we looked at before in the series. It's Nike. Nike shoes gets their, their, their name from this Greek word, which means victory. And you can see why they would choose that. But John loves this word and he uses this in 1 John 5. He uses it here. And he wants us to know, here's what's going to happen to the one who overcomes. Now, why is that important? It's important because uh, you want to know uh, uh, from this uh, uh, now I just went blank on where I was going here. I looked down, looked at my slides, and now I forgot where I was going. But uh, when you look at this idea of, of this victory, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is the victory? What is the goal line for the believer? I mean, you think about that in regards to sports, and that term is used, we, in fact, we see it in Scripture, talking about to, to run to the finish line, to get the reward. And you think, so... so you know, many of us, uh, we got all these sports all of a sudden starting to hit, right? You got baseball that started on Friday night and some, you know, some of you guys are excited and, and uh, basketball's getting ready to start up again and hockey. I mean, it's like the first time ever we're going to have all four of our major sports happening all at the same time and they're living in bubbles and all sorts of stuff and sports is coming back, you know? Hey, amen, right? <laughs> You know, getting tired of, you know, bowling or, you know, reruns of some games, you know. And, and uh, so you find yourself not watching sports at all. And, and here these sports are coming back. And every sport has a finish line. And in fact, that's what I titled this message, The Finish Line. Because you have, you think about it, if you're going to run a race and you get started, you get in the blocks, you, you squat down, you've got all your, you know, just the bare minimum clothing, uh, you want to be as light as possible, you've got the shoes with the spikes in it, you're getting down in position, I'm not going to do that this morning, uh, I don't think I'd be, be able to get back up, but you see, and what are they thinking in their minds? The finish line. It's just a line just going across, they're thinking finish well, finish strong, I want a place, I want to win. And they're thinking that. You see that in football, they don't call it a finish line, they call it a goal line. And you cross the goal line, and that's in your mind, I gotta cross that line. In baseball, it's a plate, right? It's home plate, that's the finish line. In basketball, it's simply a, a goal, and, and you wanna throw it in the goal. I mean, every sport has in this idea of finishing, of a goal. And the question is, is what is the goal for the believer? My children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Galatians, uh, Paul talks about that. To be like Christ, to be with Christ, to be near him. Great song we finished with at the end. That's the goal, to be near to him, to be close to him. 
And so when you, when you read these things at the, at the end of these, you think the blessing is his nearness. Goodness happens when we are near the one that is goodness itself. I did a funeral recently and, and one of the verses that still just keeps jumping out at me is Psalm 1611. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. In your presence is fullness of joy. And you think about the joy that we get at those moments of exhilaration when we win something or when a baby is born or, or we get married or just different things happen. We graduate and there's this fullness of joy for that moment and then it kind of goes away pretty quickly. Imagine... That fullness of joy as a constant thing in your life that's permanent and that goes on forever. Wow. Just that one thing you think, wow, God has blessing for us that's amazing. And he wants that for us. And so when we look at these 16 things, there are seven churches, there are 16 things that, that he talks about what we have to look at is and understand is that these 16 things look back and they look forward. In fact, when I was thinking about this, I put together this little chart and it really applies especially to the first one, the first deal where it looks back at Eden and it looks forward to the, to the end of time, to the new heavens and new earth. What was lost in Adam is regained in Jesus Christ. In Revelation 2.7, he says, I will grant to eat the tree of the tree of life in the paradise of God. Look, what, look at chapter 2, verse 7 of Revelation. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, the paradise of God was originally the Garden of Eden. God was there. Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. So what's the picture there? Nearness to God. His presence. His nearness was goodness. And they, they enjoyed being in his presence. And then Adam and Eve fell. They sinned against God. And they lost all of that. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of... Well, they already knew good... It's a knowledge of good and evil. They gained evil. The knowledge of... Can you imagine the horribleness of that coming upon you in that moment? All you've known is goodness at that moment. And you bite and you know evil. Suddenly. Wow. I can't even imagine how that would rock your world. How that would rock your life. How that would just just how horrible that would be to all of a sudden know evil and all you had known is the goodness of nearness to God. It was paradise. Why did they give that up? We'll never know. They just chose it. But God is going to restore what was broken. And paradise we will have again. You see that in Revelation chapter 22. In Revelation 22 and verse 2 it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as a crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. 
through the middle of the street and of the city. Also, on the other side of the river, the tree of life, which with its 12 kinds of fruit. That's the first time we have a description of it. We didn't get that in Genesis. We get it now. 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. Can you imagine fruit of the month club, right? And you can just eat and you can enjoy the tree of life because that was hidden. Once they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life was gone. And my guess is they never tried it because if they would, I, and I don't know this, but I think if they would have eaten the tree of life, God would have protected the other one. And of the tree of life they could freely eat, but they did not apparently. It says the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. Do we need that? Healing of our nation? Healing of the nations? Absolutely we do. We have all sorts of things that aren't right in our world, injustices that aren't right. The healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb, I will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be upon their foreheads and night will be no more. They will not need no light of the lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign with him forever and ever. The tree of life and the paradise of God. And so paradise lost is paradise gained. Paradise in the past has now been restored. What Adam lost has been restored and we see that. And that's a blessing. And one of the things that you, you know when you're reading through here, now remember when I talked in 1 John chapter 5, there's the born again portion, there's the salvation portion of overcoming, so that when we accept Jesus Christ, we have overcome sin and death through him, in him. But there's also the active faith part of it. And the active faith part of it is what he says uh, in 1 John 5, uh, 4, it says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, so that we begin to walk by faith. And there are rewards for that. And you'll see mixed in between these two, some things that apply to all believers. Some things that only apply to some believers, those who have been faithful to the end, those who have done other things that God has asked us to do. And they'll be specially rewarded. So there's a difference between salvation and reward. So don't get that mixed up. If you do, you'll read some of this and go, oh no, maybe I'm not overcoming. And so therefore I'm going to miss out on salvation. No, that's not the case. If you're born of God, you are, you will never lose it. And you'll see that in this, in, in, in this section of scripture as well. We look at the church of Smyrna. The church of Smyrna, uh, uh, in uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse uh, 10. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So you think, what is this crown of life? There's actually five crowns that are mentioned in Scripture. The crown of life is for those who have suffered for his sake. And that's we see that in this passage here. This has been called the martyr's crown. But I don't think that a person necessarily has to die to have suffered for his sake. And so he just says, be faithful even unto death. And so that we are someone who, who are, is faithful, there are crowns. And these crowns apparently are only given to certain people for certain activities. The crown of life. You have the crown of glory for those who have fed the flock. 
And so if you're someone who's feeding the flock, whether it's teaching a Sunday school class, whether it's teaching one-on-one over coffee, whether it's being a leader in a women's Bible study, whether it's uh, being an elder of a church or a deacon of a church or a, a crown of glory for those who feed the flock, a crown of rejoicing for those who win people to Jesus. And I think there's going to be a lot of Chinese brothers and sisters who are going to get this crown because they, they are taking the, uh, with boldness, taking the opportunity now. A crown of righteousness for those who have loved his appearing. Just looking forward to him coming back. And I think right now there's probably more of us that are thinking that than anything, right? Think, George Jesus, if this is the way it's going to be, just come on back, right? But there's a reason why he waits. And we need to be patient. A crown incorruptible for those who press on steadfastly. And I've thought about these before because I think in, in chapter 4 of Revelation, it says um, in Revelation 4, you can just turn one page if you've got the, your book here uh, or you can scroll up a little bit. It says uh, about the 24 elders and some think that's the church 12 and uh, the 12 disciples and the 12 tribes of Israel combined. So they think that's probably a reference to the church. 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne. Worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne. And so I think, so what good are these crowns going to be if we're just going to take them off and chunk them, right? I'm sure we're not going to just chunk them. But uh, if we're going to throw them at his feet, I mean, it just says throw. It's a Greek word for throwing uh, or, or placing. Maybe we're going to just place them at his feet. Uh, I'm going to have to be, uh, they're going to have to hold me back because I'll say, hey, hey, watch this. I can throw it from here. You know, sorry, too competitive, right? But I look at this idea and I think here are these crowns that that we're going to get and we're going to throw. So what's the significance of it? Is this very motivating to you or not? Are you thinking, man, I can't wait till I get a crown. I haven't found myself with that passion until I had this thought. Every one of these crowns represents Jesus. The crown of life, who is life itself? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The crown of glory, who is our glory? Jesus. Who is the, who is the one that brings rejoice? Jesus. Who's the one who's righteous, who, who defines righteousness? Jesus. Who's the one who's incorruptible? It's Jesus. And I wonder, do all of these crowns reflect nearness to Christ? And all of a sudden, I'm motivated off the charts. And I think that that's, and I could be wrong about that. I think that's what that's referring to. That these crowns are going to be something, and I don't know how you would throw that at his feet, but I just think, or what the reference to that means, whether it's a physical crown that we have, but it's also a nearness to him, I don't know. But the crown of life to those who are faithful unto death, who have suffered for Jesus. And then he goes on and says, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Now we know what the second death is. Revelation talks about the second death. And that second death is, uh, is uh, where we're judged. That second death is, is where... Um, in fact, Revelation 21.8 says, But as for the cowardly, the faithful, uh, faithfulness, it goes on and gives this list, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So being in the lake of fire is the second death. And it says here, you won't be hurt by it. 
Well, that's certainly what talking about salvation that John talks about. Same author, by the way. He says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. We overcome there. We don't face the second death. He goes on and, and, uh, and talks to the church of Pergamum. And he says to the church of Pergamum, and he says, to the one who conquers. This is uh, chapter 2 and verse uh, 17. I will give some of the hidden man, and you kind of go, huh? Hidden man, what's that? And I will give him a white stone. A white stone? With a new name written on the stone. And you're thinking, How? what is this talking about? That no one knows except the one who receives it. Now, this white stone, I was, I was doing some research on that, and one of the things that one of the commentaries talked about was that the white stone was something that they would usually give to somebody to invite them to a banquet. Oh, I kind of perked up at that. There's a banquet at the end of Revelation. You read about it? Chapter 19, you know what it is? The marriage supper of the Lamb. And here's what he says about the marriage supper of the Lamb. If I can get to that page. It says, For the marriage of the Lamb has come, Revelation 19, 7, and the bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saint. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I was thinking, so there's a white stone possibly an invitation to a banquet. I think that's probably what it's looking at. I mean, obviously it's got to be a, some sort of figure of speech or it's a literal white stone that we get. It says with a na new name written. Now it doesn't say it's our name. It doesn't say whether it's Christ's name. So what name would be written on this white stone that would give us access and entrance? And I was thinking, well, I, I do know that if someone writes me a letter that gives me entrance to a place that I would not normally have entrance and access to, and they sign the letter with their name on it, my name doesn't have a lot of value in that situation, but their name does. And I'm thinking that maybe this is Jesus's name on this white stone, and we walk up, and we, we hand it at the banquet, and, and they say, come on, enter on in, because you have the name above all names, the name which will, will, gives you access, unlimited access to this place, to this location, to this event. Wow. And that's for all of us. I will give some of the hidden manna what is that? Is that what we're going to eat at the banquet? I don't know. But I do know when it said hidden manna, I thought, well, there was the manna that was all over the ground that they woke up and it was everywhere. And then there was this one piece of manna that Moses hid in the Ark of the Covenant to remind the children of Israel of God's provision of his grace and his mercy on their lives. And so I was thinking, I think that he's reflecting that. God's grace. His mercy that's given to those of us who believe that I don't get what I deserve. What I deserve is death and hell and what I get is eternal life. And he gives me incredible opportunity for relationship with him. You look at the church of Thyatira and he says, to the one who conquers, who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. This may be a reward one. This may be one that, that's based on our faithfulness. 
authority over the nations. And it says he will rule with a rod of iron and when earthen pots are broken in pieces. And that's coming out of Psalm 2.9, by the way. It says, even as I myself have received authority from the Father. You see the Trinity here. He says, I will receive him in the, uh, uh, and I will give him the morning star. So authority over the nations based on our works or our faithfulness. So it may be that, that, that if you've shown faithfulness and you've trusted the Lord, that you may be over a city, uh, maybe New York or who knows what. And if you're a little less faithful, maybe you'll be over Logan Street or something, you know, or Chrisman. You know, that's, that's your, I mean, I don't know, but I do know that we're going to reign with him in some sense. And we see that in uh, uh, Revelation 22. And remember how I talked about in the past, in the future, talked about in, in the past, in, in Genesis, that we are supposed to, uh, to, to be ruler over the earth. Uh, we mess that up, but then that rulership is going to occur. It says, night will be no more. They will no, uh, need no lamp from the sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. We're going to reign with him. He doesn't need us to reign with him. He can do it all himself. He chooses to have us to work with him in ruling this planet, maybe during the thousand years, maybe beyond, I don't know. But then he said, and I will give him the morning star. And you think, what is that? What is this morning star idea? The morning star uh, is uh, found also in uh, Revelation 22 and verse 16. Revelation 22 and verse 16, it says, I, Jesus, so we know who's talking. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Sometimes you don't need, to, need something to help you to uh, un, or, or try to figure out the understanding of it. Scripture tells us. Let Scripture interpret Scripture where it will. And here it clearly does. So I will give him Jesus. I will give them Jesus. Nearness to Jesus. Wow. What we've thought about with the crowns, maybe that's one of the things that we gain is a nearness to Christ. The church of Sardis. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. In white garments, the idea of purity. White garments, that idea that we will have this... Um, uh, this part of our lives where there's no more crying, no more death, no more tears. That no more death means no more sin. No more sin means purity. I think that's what this clothing is talking about. That we will have in our glorified bodies no sin, no death, no pain, no dying. Wow. But then he goes on and he says um, to the church in Sardis, he says, uh, he'll be in white garments. I will never blot his name out of the book of life. That has caused people to go, oh, wait a minute, can our name be blotted out of the book of life? No, he says, never be blotted out. And who is that referring to? All believers. See, we, we struggle with that word overcomer because we think, oh, that means I got to do something. And if I don't do that, then I get blotted out. No, you, if you believed on Jesus, you already did the one thing. This is actually a very strong verse on assurance of salvation because when you believed, then you are born of God. And when you are born of God, 1 John 5, 
For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. So if you're born of God, if you've believed on Jesus, if you responded to the gospel message that Christ died for you and rose from the grave and you put your faith in him, you are his child and that will never change. And you will never be blotted out. And then he says, I will confess his name before my father. We have one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And he is going to vouch for us. He will be there at the moment that we, we arrive at heaven's gates. And he's going to say, I know this one. This is, your, this, is, this is a child. This is my brother in Christ. This is someone who, who has inheritance of heaven, inheritance of relationship. Come on in. I will confess his name before my father and before the angels. I mean, it's like an announcement at a great banquet. Imagine that. That our name is confessed and announced as we enter. The church of Philadelphia. He says, um, hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. So apparently we can lose crowns even though we gain them. He says, the one who conquers... That idea of Nike, uh, overcoming. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And I was thinking, what is that? Now that's got to be a figure of speech of some sort. Of, either that, we found the stationary pillar just kind of standing. That doesn't sound very positive. So what does that mean? What is it reference to? And one reference that, they, that uh, one of the commentaries talked about was that this, these pillars, that whenever they wanted to honor someone, a priest or a citizen in the community, they would have a pillar for them in the temple. I don't know if they put a new one in or if they just selected one that was already existing and they put their name on it. In, in order to honor them, they would inscribe their name. It says, never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city my God, of my God, the new Jerusalem. And so I guess we're going to have some tattoos with either Yahweh or Yeshua, Jesus, and Jerusalem. What does that mean when we have his name inscribed on us that we belong to him, that we are his, that anybody who sees us would know this is, this is my child. This is the one I love. And they belong in the new Jerusalem. And that's every believer. And then the church at Laodicea. It says, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And I was thinking, wow, I don't, I don't even know. I can't even begin to describe the significance of us being on the throne, except maybe we're reigning with him. Maybe that's another description of that. But the phrase that jumped out at me is with me. We're going to be with him. And so when I look at these 16 things that we have, I think of these 16 blessings you see, and you, you might want to take a picture of this. Uh, in Ephesus, we have the tree of life in paradise. This idea of what was in the past that was broken has now been restored. Paradise lost, paradise restored. Tree of life lost and blocked and banned from. Now the tree of life enjoying through the, uh, through, uh, throughout all eternity. Uh, the crown of life that, that is, is because of faithfulness and then no second death, that we won't suffer that. We won't struggle with uh, the lake of fire. The hidden manna that, that we have this, um, whatever blessing that that's a reference to uh, from the Lord, but the white stone, the invitation to, uh, uh, with the new name on that stone and that we have an invitation to the, 
marriage supper of the Lamb. Already authority over the nations for those who are faithful. Uh, a morning star given to all of us. That's Jesus himself. White garments that we no longer have to worry about sin and death. Our name's not going to be blotted out. That we have assurance of salvation because we have believed on Jesus. Uh, he's going to vouch for us and confess our name. A pillar in the temple that uh, uh, whatever that's a reference to in terms of honoring and, and ownership. Name of our God in Jerusalem on us. And then sitting with me, with me on the throne. I think what a blessing that we have in Christ. Simply because we believed and then because we live by faith, that we live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, as we saw from, from John chapter 16, that, that in Him we will have peace. In the world you have a tribulation. It says, these things I've written to you, and one of those things is walking in the Spirit. You're going to be given another helper that's going to help you to overcome. It's not all on you. It's not all on me that we have his strength, that we walk in his light, and that we walk together as the church because the gates of hell will not stand against the church that God has created, will not stand against him. And that we know there is a finish line and it is coming. And what was lost is going to be restored. And we look forward to that moment. We begin to pray for that moment. We begin to say, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But until then, we will overcome. We will be faithful unto death. We will continue to confess your name. We will continue to speak. We don't need to be discouraged. The world is not winning. Jesus has already won. And we overcome in him. Father, we come to you this morning. And we thank you so much that Jesus Christ came to die for us to take away the penalty of sin. That Jesus died and took that penalty for us. We thank you that our lives now have the opportunity to not be those who are down about the current situation. That we have a joy and a rejoicing that's contagious with one another. It encourages one another as we see the finish line. As we see what you have for us. But also, it's a great testimony to a, a world that's longing for something more than what they have. They're discouraged too. And they see a joy in us that they can't explain. That comes from you. What a powerful witness that is for you. Lord, I pray that you would use us in that way. I pray that we would be like our Chinese brothers and sisters and, and be bold in our faith. That we would take courage because you've overcome the world. And that we know we are overcomers. And when we're in you, when we're walking in your spirit, when we're walking in the light, darkness cannot overcome it. Lord, help us to walk in you. Give us the strength to do so. May we encourage one another to do that very thing. Lord, I pray that, th today, that today or this week that we would call someone that's another believer in Christ and encourage them and, and just tell them, you are an overcomer. I pray that we would do that today. I pray that we would text that to someone today. That in Christ, we overcome. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.